I used to have a sweet shop in without. Oh, wait, you ran a sweet shop <laughs> yeah. in prison? Come on, once a hustler, you're always going to be like an entrepreneur, right? Oh, banana pudding. I made the banana pudding taste exactly the way I made it at home. One of the cups was $2.50, and the other cup was $3.50. These girls would come by and just grab like two or three. I used to have commissary out of the wazoo. <laughs> On today's episode, we have Lynette Williams from BET's American Gangster Trap Queen series to share her story of building a real estate empire, turning it into a fraud after the 2008 market crash and spending 10 years in federal prison. Listen up, everyone. Remember to grab your official locked-in gear just in time for the holiday season. I hope you all sit back, relax, and get ready to lock in with Lynette Williams. Lynette Williams, welcome to Locked In. Thank you, Ian. It's so great to be here. Yeah, it's been a great conversation already. We haven't even started. (laughs) High energy. You're exciting. You're laughing. You've been smiling the whole time. I know. You've taken some shots at me. You called me shy. (laughs) See, I'm I'm warming up to you. Don't worry. Yeah, yeah, you got you got that energy. You got that great energy. But shy is not bad necessarily. People like I'm like uh, you can't figure me out type of person. You don't know. It's like a mysterious. You know. Yeah. I got you though. Yeah, it works, but you figured me out. You called me out on my bullshit. (laughs) No. Welcome to the show, though. You have a nice ride in. Thank you. Yes, it was very long. (laughs) I thought I would not be back in this town, but here we are. Yeah, and this town has a lot of history for you, which we're going to get into. Yeah. Uh, But let's start at the beginning of the story. Where are you from? What's early childhood like for you? Okay, so I am from, I always say I'm from Queens, but I'm actually from the Bronx, and I represent Queens because we moved there. Yeah, I know it, right? L O Cool J. I really do that sometimes, like, but I represent Queens. But anyway, <laughs> so um, I do represent Queens because I got there when I was about nine, I think. And I've been there, you know, I grew up there. I became a woman there. I went through those formative years there. So, yeah. What about your parents? Were they together? Did you have siblings? I had a great, um, I had a, I had a, I had a really good childhood. Um, I had both my parents. I have an older brother, and um, look, yeah, the story stops there. Right? That's it. So pretty, pretty basic. No, like childhood trauma, nothing like that. Well, you know, when you're going through, when you're young, and and um, and you're a child in your parents' home, you don't you don't realize that what you're going through may be trauma, you know. Um, but as you grow, you realize, wow, it's like most of our childhoods are wrapped in generational trauma. You know, it's only when you get older that you look back and you say, wow, that wasn't, hmm, so that didn't need to happen that way. And it probably would have been best handled another way. Um, but, you know, you work with what you have. And I had like this, this my, my childhood from the outside seemed like it was the greatest American dream ha- uh, um, uh, upbringing ever. Let my brother tell the story. He, his story totally is way different than mine. Um, we're, we're just four and a half years apart. I don't knock his story, but from from my standpoint, I had a great childhood. I couldn't have wanted anything more. But again, looking back, there's some things that I realized that that selective that selective what do they call it? selective memory? Yeah, works for me. You know, that's a great statement you made, though, that each person has their own memory of a situation, and that plays a big part into 
our stories, people that were formerly incarcerated, because there's two sides to every story. Yes. You have the government side, you have our side. What normally happens is it's just the government mm-hmm. side that gets out in the world. Mm-hmm. You create a platform like this and it gives the opposite end of the spectrum. Yeah. That's just like a huge theme in the show. Yeah, it is. I know I saw a couple of your shows and shows like these are so important. They're so important. People do watch, you know. They do want to know. They want to know what it was like inside. They want to know um, what you experienced. They want to know about you as a person. These, these shows like these are really good to give a background on the person that went to um, that went to prison. Because to look at you, you would never think. <laughs> you know, I know to look at me, you'd never think who's who's walking around smiling like this all the time. You yeah. know, but you know, um, to God be the glory. But yeah. But, it, I mean, just the way you go about things just shows that you didn't let what happened to you define you. We come out here, we're still happy, we're having fun. You know, we all have our sad days. Even people that haven't been to prison have sad days. Yeah. But that doesn't define us, you know, that, that we keep moving forward. Not at all. It's like if you do let it, if you let it define you or if you let it consume you for a moment, you can really sink into a deep space of depression. And sometimes, you know... Since then, since 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 coming home, sometimes I wake up in the morning like, no, 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 no. That's not, not no, no. You know, just I literally shake it off. We're not going to do any anxiety. We're not going to do, we're not going to allow negative thoughts. We're going to be positive. And, and I know a lot of people, and this is kind of probably um, news to a lot of people, because when you see someone walking around and they're always seeming, you know, they're always... They seem to be in good spirits all the time. It's like, no, we do have negative spaces, you know, we enter into. And the only way to get out of it for me is self-talk. I literally, and I say it out loud sometimes, stop, nope, we're not doing that. You have to, you got to check yourself yeah. sometimes. You, that's, yeah. you only got you at the end of the day, mm-hmm. no matter what. And when you get to a place like prison, that's when you really only have you. That's right. And you know what's so funny and so interesting that you say that because the people in there... Um, a lot of people created these families while they were away. And I find I found it interesting how, you know, they were able to create a family. I always felt like my family's home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I t- now on an everyday basis, I talk to m- more people that I was in prison with than I did to people yeah. that I was outside of prison with. I'm going to my friend's wedding next week who was a guy nice. I met in prison. And uh, you just you form those relationships and, mm-hmm. and people have those attachments because you spend so much time with them. Yeah. You know, what do they say? It takes X amount of days and hours to get to know someone and consider them a friend. Yeah. You're literally living with individuals in prison where you're forced to be in that setting. So it's a whole different topic. Talk about Mm -hmm. that. Forced to be, you wake up and you see somebody in your face. (laughs) You go brush your teeth and it's the same person. (laughs) Because everyone has their routine. Yeah. You pick any time of the day and you follow someone's routine in prison, you kind of see because you're forced to see those routines. How would someone describe you growing up? Like if we had one of your high school friends here, what would Hmm. they say about you? That's interesting. I like that question. Thank you. I like to ask good questions. (laughs) I don't know if I can answer how somebody else perceives me, but um, I can just, I don't know. I think... That's a great question, Ian. Mm-hmm. I'm almost stuck. I don't know how people would perceive me. I think people would have perceived me as uh, shy. Um, back in junior high school and high school, I would say I was shy. Um, 
wasn't very, the extroverted side of me wasn't in place yet. I couldn't decide where that belonged. But, um, yeah, I think people, for the most part, was, would say I was shy and so you, quiet. you've been calling me shy all morning, and, and now here you were. We find out that Takes you were shy. Takes one to know one. Okay. <laughs> I'll take that. Did, do you end up graduating high school? Yeah. Where did you go to college? I went to, right after high school, I went to Nassau Community. Um, I didn't want to go to college, though. I didn't want to go. I, I went because I knew uh, my dad was going to buy me a car. So... <laughs> My brother had gotten his car when he graduated high school, right? So I knew I was getting one. So you have to go to college in order to get the car. So I went. I didn't stay, though. I didn't stay. But I, later, I went to Cornell. Okay. So you went to college just to get the car. Yeah. And then as soon as you got the car, you left college? Wow. <laughs> so when you left college that, that first time, what did you do? Did you work? Did you have any like career path, ambition, anything like that? No, I actually, um, I think, let's see, I left college because I was pregnant. With your first born? Yeah, with my first. And were you married to that man, or you no. guys were just dating? No, we were just dating. But we had a good, I, you know, at 19, what is your relationship? It was good, it was solid. <laughs> we, had a, we were in love, Ian. We were in love. And, um, yeah, so, you know, I got pregnant, and... Um, from the moment I was pregnant, I knew I was keeping my child. And before that, there's I wouldn't I didn't even think about having any kids at all. Like not I wasn't I wasn't one that didn't want any, but that's just not what we thought about where I grew up. We just didn't think about having kids and you know, a lot of a lot of young women did, but um that wasn't what we thought of in my house. That wasn't like part of plan. Do you ever think about how life could have been different if you didn't have a kid at that early age? Uh, I mean, I've thought about it maybe once or twice, but nothing, 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 nothing solid. I didn't, yeah, I, I don't have any regrets. I don't have any regrets. I think, you know, looking back at this point in my life, that was those were some of the, the, the best times in my life, you know, raising my sons. And I did it alone. So, um, but they were the best, most rewarding. How are you supporting yourself financially? Oh, I had a job. Oh, you did? You too, yeah, I worked at American place. Express. American? I mean, you know, I, my parents worked. <laughs> I worked. <laughs> so you had a very easygoing life for the most part. Like it was, you got the car, you went to college, you had the opportunities handed to you. Everything was fine. So how on earth do you land yourself in federal prison? Because it's not like you had drug use growing up or you were in poverty or anything like that. You had like the advantages life had to offer you. Yeah. And you know what? We can all end up in a federal prison at some point. That's one thing I've learned. But, I, you know, I, I, I didn't, what landed me in federal prison is not a life of crime. It was a decision I had to make. You know, I, I became an entrepreneur. I was actually that since I was 11 years old with my Sunshine Girls Club. <laughs> Wait, what's Sunshine Girls Club? So I created this, um, this club for myself and the girls on the block. And we would, we would uh, 
we would do dances and we charged the we charged the parents to come to the shows and uh yeah they've had to pay 25 cents to come to the shows and i know you were big on lemonade stands when you were young Candy. so we sold lemonade and cookies and cakes and stuff that we that our parents baked and we sold them and uh and so and i actually chose a treasurer a uh uh what else i was the president and ceo of course and there was a treasure and a secretary. And who knew that those are the three main elements needed to form a business? You know what's interesting is that the drug addicts that I inter- interview, a, something that's a reoccurring theme is that their parents were users and then that trickles down. And something I've realized with people that go to prison for like fraud, for example, mm-hmm. a reoccurring theme is that they had some sense of entrepreneur- entrepreneurship as a young adult. They were doing something. They had the skills or the ability or that mindset. Yeah. Because you need that to even commit a fraud, a fraud. anyways. Yeah. And you know what I realized also? Um, most of the people that did commit fraud, they they didn't they didn't start out in fraud. Fraud wasn't part of the plan. <laughs> it certainly wasn't part of my plan. I mean, I made my son the CEO of my company, and I made my youngest one. He was an officer of the company as well. So, yeah, there was nothing. It was fraud was not an option. It was not an, even in play. Nothing I ever thought about. But I think most of us that end up committing fraud, um, we are entrepreneurs for the most part, and we find ourselves in these situations where we have to make decisions: oh, Are you going to sink or are you going to swim? And um, and I think maybe better planning. Uh, but things you're always going to find as an entrepreneur, you're always going to find yourself in a space. You're going to find yourself in a space where you have to make some hard choices. Did I need to make those choices? Did I have to make those choices? No, looking back, of course I didn't. But it seemed like that was the viable option at the time. Yeah. I mean, most individuals like myself, the fraud happened when you're pressed up against a wall. And yeah. in a lot of cases, is not even intentional. The act itself is intentional, but not the yes. mindset behind it. And it, I think that's what the court system is not looking at. You know, it used to be intent, right? Intent is what used to put you away. But that does, has nothing to do with it anymore. It's just the act. The act is fraud. Therefore, you... Do you know what the judge said? <laughs> you... Um, you 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 should have you had cause to know or you should have known. Okay. <laughs> so what, what what business did you get into that you started? I had uh, when at this point in time. At that point in time, before the fraud happens, describe like what the setting is, what what your life's like, and, and your son's involvement. You said they were the CEO, right? Yeah, but you know that was only by name. Okay. I just <laughs> I made them CEO because I could. <laughs> Uh, I just wanted, you know, as a single mom, you know, I definitely wanted to build a, a, a lifestyle and a life for them that sat outside of that box. So, but life for life for me before um, before the big storm happened was was fabulous. I, you know, definitely, I had the big house on the hill in California. Um, I had cars, I had properties everywhere, all over the country, and um, and a lot of responsibilities, a lot of responsibilities, and nobody to, I didn't, you know, I was, I was built this empire alone, you know, and so um, I'm, that being said, I didn't have anybody to report to, 
nobody to hold me accountable and and uh so and vice versa so um it was life was good life was good a lot of stress it's so crazy you don't realize how much stress is involved in uh being successful until you are until it's all gone absolutely so was this empire built legally yes legitimately Mm -hmm. and for those that don't know who you are Mm -hmm. It was a real estate empire. Yes. What was like day-to-day operations? How did you accrue this empire? Day-to-day operations were stress from the morning to the night. You know, one real estate deal will give you stress, right? So imagine 17 deals in escrow at one time. It's this, it's all over the place. Um, But, you know, sometimes I would, would actually, sometimes you'll make calls and you make calls and it's like, okay, listen. Today is an off day because as an entrepreneur, we don't take days off. We work, right? And so when nobody's picking up at the escrow office and you've got all of this business going on all all over the country, it's like, okay, you know what? Why don't you just go to the movies? And that's what I would do sometimes. Just just go to the movies? Drop it and go to the movies. By yourself? Mm Mm-hmm. I went to the movies for the first time by myself a couple of years ago when I was working in Long Island for Whole Foods. (laughs) Listen, that was like a, an interesting experience because I hated going alone to places. Really? Yeah, and I I liked it. I saw I saw the new Spider Man movie because I didn't know anyone <laughs> in Long Island, so I went. And then recently, when I was in Alaska, I ate alone, and it's a very like wholesome like experience just yeah. sitting there. Yeah. And I think that broke because, like you said, I'm shy. Yeah. I've always been shy. Like when I walk into a place, like I have to be on my phone. Like I don't want people to recognize me or anything like this. Now, like, I don't I don't give a shit. Like, I just walk it. I just do whatever. I say hello. I'm being more social. Yeah. Um, shooting my shot in the girls DMs. You okay. know, I'm doing I'm doing things <laughs> like that. But I didn't have that before. Like, this is all I think as this podcast has progressed, yeah. I've I've gained that. Yeah. Which is, which is it's interesting how like those things, you know, change it. I'm a very like mind type of person like I love the mentality Mm -hmm. and how someone thinks that's why I like I ask questions about like your thoughts your feelings who you are as a person because that's how the audience gets to understand you too yeah yeah that's great I love that (laughs) and it does it does oh podcasting definitely opens you up absolutely you have to because if I sat here shy this wouldn't work I I came to Connecticut for this (laughs) what um were you flipping houses? Is that what the, the empire was built on? Or what exactly were you guys doing? Well, okay, so I started in real estate in um, as a loan officer, actually. So the loan being a loan officer is a very powerful position, FYI. For, for those watching and <laughs> listening do not know, that's a very powerful position, especially if you're a loan officer for your own deals, so um, your own transactions. So starting out as a loan officer... Um, I realized, uh, I found out a lot. I, I've loaned, I processed my own loans. Um, and as I moved into re- the real estate side of it as an agent, you know, selling the happy homemaker her home. Oh, <laughs> no. <laughs> I can't do it. I can't do it. You know what happens when you, when you for, for me, mainstream real estate sales, nobody goes home happy. You know, at the closing table, I'm excited to get my commission, right? But everybody's like, you know, they're happy at the moment, but then they call you two days later and say, oh, you know, there was a chip in the floor. Can we get some of that, you know? It's like, no, the deal was closed. But what happened is, is they went home with a deal that, uh, with the, with the, with the uh, a house they probably couldn't afford. 
Somebody probably told them, oh, you, you grow into your house. No, you, you buy what you can buy and then you sell it or you rent it out and then you buy into something else, you know. But usually people, um, they're looking at, they're saddled with these mortgages and in debt over there, you know, over their head. And so nobody's happy. So my, the type of real estate deals that I did was investment real estate. And so we'll call them incentive built in, right? Which were really just seller concessions. Um, but you know, the people can make anything look like it's not legal, especially when they need it to not look legal. They, they can make it appear to be whatever they want it to be. But largely, they were concessions uh, built into, into the deal. So by the time my real estate transactions closed, everybody's happy. Everybody went home with money. And so it was a good day. It was a good day. What year was this? This was um, all leading up to and including. No, didn't include 2008. Did it? Yeah. Right around there. So everything was great up until about then. Yeah. So what happens? Was it the market crash that changed your yeah. life or was it other circumstances? Oh, it was the market. Really? So yeah. you're not the first person that's been in this type of industry that it affected that crash yeah. turned into fraud. Yeah, that was a very serious time. I mean, during that time, everything was it was great for for a while. And, um, you know, I had clients that were refinancing their homes every six months. It's like, and it got to a point, and that, and that wasn't my suggestion, but they were refinancing their homes like every six months. And it got to the point where a few of my clients were about to refinance. I said, you know what? It's about to shut down. You might want to, if this is what you're doing, you might want to go ahead and refinance and cash it all out because this won't be happening again. Because I, I, I felt it coming. Not, not even that I felt it coming. I saw it coming. I saw the crash happening. Like, I just knew it was coming. Um, things started to slow down and, you know, the industry started changing. And so you could really, when you're in it that way, when you're in the thick of it, you can really see, um, the little, the little things, the appraisal, the appraise, um, the appraised values and how they were coming back. Uh, you, how many closings, um, were happening without closing costs included because you couldn't, you couldn't get the house low enough to accommodate the the closing cost so this was easy six months ago now all of a sudden it's not you know so it was it was a lot how much were you making before the crash at like the peak of your business i made it i made a few i made about i made some six some six digits a month a month six digits a month and this was all legal everything was legit yeah so the crash happens what was the first time that it goes into the gray area. When the six figures became five. <laughs> so it, it was, was it for you a, a mental thing where you needed to figure out how to make more money to live up to your lifestyle? Well, no, it was more like, you know, that's when you asked me when I saw it coming, when I, you know, when I noticed that things were changing. Mm-hmm. And that's when I noticed. You always notice your pockets first. And that's when I noticed things were changing. So, no, it wasn't right away that any of that needed to happen. I did meet somebody that um, that had these connections at the bank, you know. <laughs> I 
I don't even want to say the bank out loud. But somebody had these connections and they introduced me. And it was right around the time when um, things were changing. And so when, as things were changing, you know, I'm calculating, I'm looking around. It's like, okay, all right. I'm, you know, figuring maybe I will flip. Maybe I will flip and sell it, or, you know, maybe I better start, you know, stacking and doing whatever. Um, but to have such airtight connections on the inside and to be, to have your back against the wall, you know, it got to that point where your back was, my back was against the wall. And Nothing can go wrong. What can go wrong? If anybody's going down, she's going down. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Not me. So, um, but yeah, it didn't work that way. It didn't work that way. Looking back on it now, was there any other alternatives that you could have taken besides the road that you're about to travel down? Yeah. I could have just lost everything without trying so there was no way to try and do it legitimately? What was I going to do? Go into a bank and say, you know, here's you, you make all these millions and go to a bank and say, yeah, I need some, I, I need a float. I need something like I need a loan. They're not going to give, they weren't going to. Even with all the real estate you owned? Yep. Is that just because of the timing or? It was the timing. It seemed, you know, it was, I think I can go ahead and just say it just seemed like an easy way to go ahead and make it happen. Yeah. You chose and the fast route. I chose the fast route. I did. And um, it just felt like any other way was going to take too long and that window would close on me. And so, yeah, out of desperation, I, I grabbed. So what exactly did you do? How did, What does it lead into? What do you mean? Like, what what did you do that was considered fraud? That oh. You, would, you know, that would start from a legitimate operation to an illegitimate operation. Falsified documents. False. What kind of documents are we talking oh, about? Oh, come on, Ian. Uh, no, you know, the listeners want to know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know I have this episode, right, on BET. Yeah, this is a different group of people that uh, yeah. want to hear from you, you know? Yeah. These are the people not watching BET. That's right. And I know what and you did, a lot. but it's, a, it's the listeners <laughs> that want to hear, you know? Ask the question again. What type of uh, loan documents did you forge? Okay, it was... Um, it started with the 1003. What's a 1003? 1003 is a loan application, mortgage loan application that you fill out when you want to buy a house and you want to go into contract and you want a, uh, a loan from the bank. So that's 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 the big one. And um, so, yeah, it started with the 1003. And actually, it started with stated income. That's the fave back in the days. Over 700 FICO. You can state anything. You can say you make a million dollars somewhere and, you know, it's going to go through because you have the FICO to support it. The, what happened is that you needed to have, um, you didn't need any documentation to support it at that time. The only, the only falsification was that on the application. And so as things are dropping out of escrow, they decided that now you have to supply documentation. Otherwise, all of your deals were going to fall out of escrow. So you had to forge them. How would you forge them? Is it just like taking a photocopy and using some whiteout? Or? 
yeah, sometimes it was. A t- <laughs> yeah. yeah, sometimes it was as simple as that. A little white out here, a little white out there. That wouldn't work now, would it? Um, you know, I don't know. I don't, I have no idea. I don't even want to know, to be honest with you. I definitely will not travel that road ever again in life. There is nothing. I mean, you know, it's so crazy. It's like, you know, that was the one time I made a left turn and like everything. So that was it? You yeah. just did this a couple, like once or twice? When I did it, well, I did it. I did it a few times because mm-hmm. I had a lot of deals in escrow that I did not want to fall out. So, yeah, I did it a few times. But when I say that one time I took a left turn in life, like that's the first time I entered a crime zone, you know, like and um, needless to say, I didn't think that. I know it sounds crazy, right? It says we will prosecute right on the application, right? But then, me, you're not going to prosecute me. But when you were forging these documents, who's losing on that deal? Like, is anyone really out of pocket? Because if you have real estate to back it, is the bank, even though you lied, is the bank losing money or no? Hypothetically, they're not. But it's because you lied. Someone found out you lied and then they brought that up is because you is why you eventually get charged. Yeah. And there's insurance all over the place. So there is insurance to back everything up. Everything. Well, what's interesting, too, is about the criminal justice system is a bank could lose money. They're insured. And the person that caused them the loss is still going to jail. Not only are they going to jail, but they're paying restitution. Yeah, that is a big issue with the fact of the restitution. A lot of these people get their money back through insurance and then they're still paying. I don't know where that money goes, how that works. And they're not even people that get their money back. They're entities. They're entities that get their money back. The FDIC is yeah. big insurance, right? It's way different. Titles that's, insurance, that's insurance. We're, you know, I mean, I guess you, you know, the, yeah, I read somewhere that the laws were not made for um, people that don't commit crimes. Does that make sense? One of those ways. <laughs> How much time passed between when you first did this, forged the document, and when you ultimately found out whoever was investigating you? I think the time was uh, five years. Five years went by. Yeah. Were you actively forging documents through the full five years? No. So you just did it a few years back and then all of a sudden it catches Mm -hmm. up to you? Yeah. So how how do you get wind that they're investigating you? Someone told me. Yeah. Somebody that they were actually, this woman that I wasn't actually doing business with, uh, she managed to tell me that, (laughs) watch the messenger, right? (laughs) So she managed to tell me that um, that uh, that I was being that I was being investigated. They took pictures of us when we were in Miami, and like, okay, well, I'm not doing anything, you know. Everything that whatever I did is done; it's gone. Um, yeah, and so she told me. And were you able to rebuild your business from those forged documents? Like, is business back to normal at this point? No, no, no. No, no, no. Business is not back to normal. I mean, that was years ago. I had, I had to pay the price for that. So business wasn't back to normal even with the, in the later years before the investigation even started? No. I shut down um, my business in 2009, I believe. Oh, so you had to shut it down even with— I didn't have to. Mm-hmm. I just did. You know, uh, it had its run, and I wasn't—I was, I was, I was enjoying spending my money— <laughs> 
and um, you know the 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 it, the stress in life was kind of you know lessening, and I was enjoying kind of like a little stress free life that, that didn't last long. No, it didn't. So, what year did they come knocking? Two thousand. They came in 2010 or 11. I believe it was 11. And did they raid the house? What what happened? No, they did. It was worse than that. It, it gets was, worse than raiding the house? Yeah, when they arrest your child. They arrested your child? Mm-hmm. Your son? Mm-hmm. How old was your son at the time? Mm, 28. Was that because he was named on the business? So how do you find out he gets arrested? Uh, I was on my way back from Italy. And, you know, whenever I fly back in, whenever I get back in the state, I'll, um, states from traveling, I'll, you know, I'll call one of my kids and say, what's going on? Like, am I going to go hang out with my oldest one in New York or am I going to go hang out with my youngest one uh, in California at home? And um, he didn't answer the phone, my oldest. And he always answers the phone. Like, that was a phone that I paid for it specifically so because when he moved away he moved from home at 18 so um so that phone never dies right we had a little pack that we made and um so I called my youngest one who was back home in California and you know I'm, I'm bubbles and I'm just like what's going on so da 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 and um and he said ma did you call you know did you call did you call him did you call Sean and I said I said, yeah, but his phone went to voicemail. I'll try him back in a few minutes. You know, I'm still excited. So what's going on? So I'm trying to figure out if I'm going to hang out in New York with, with Shawnee for a minute or am I going to, you know, uh, come come home? And he said, okay, Ma, no. No. Okay, so you don't know. I said, no, what? Oh, that's when I hit the ground in the airport. And they, they t- he told you that your son got arrested by who, the FBI? Or? It didn't even matter that my son got arrested was enough for me. Like I, I, you know, I was fortunate enough that, you know, I didn't, I didn't have to deal with any of that kind of stuff raising my sons. And um, so, for him to just say those words, like that was that was pure devastation. And then um, I was already on the ground in the airport, and um, and then I said, "No, what happened? What happened?" You know. And then he told me what it was. He said it was for mortgage fraud. And, yeah, that that was like a cannon, you know, if you can even imagine. Um, went straight through me. And this lady, I remember this lady tapping me because, you know, I was, I was dressed nice. You know, it's like I wasn't hanging out on the floor in the airport. Clearly something happened. And um, she tapped me. I said, I'm okay, I'm okay. And, um... Yeah, so that was that was that was that was the most devastating time of my life. There was only other one other time where I was devastated like that, and that's when school dropped my youngest one off in a housing development that was <laughs> not where I lived. But um, yeah. So did you did you know that it was related to you once he told you mortgage fraud? Yeah. So you knew that, oh, shit, this finally came up, uh, caught up to me. Mm-hmm. So what happens next after this? Well, immediately from the airport, I um, I called my daughter-in-law, and I just drove straight to, I rented a car. I left my bags in the airport, you know, and I just went straight to um, the car rental, rented a car, and, and went to New York. Um, and she said he wasn't home yet. 
So he's like literally still, you know, in custody. Um, but she said he's they're releasing him. And um, so she was going to pick him up. So she went and picked him up. And by the time um, she picked him up, I got to her mom's house. And that's where we all met. And then what's like that first conversation like? There was no conversation. It was just, it was, I was, I was bawling and, um, you know, just, just, I'm sorry. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then later that night, we all went back to um, my son's house. And then we just, you know, we were talking, you know, talking and just, you know, trying to find out. I wanted to know what happened, what they say, what did they say, and yeah, to get to try to start getting to the bottom of why they would arrest my son when they know that he has nothing to do with anything. You know, he lived in New York City. This was you know, he would had nothing to do with anything. They they knew it was my my business. What what was he doing for work at that time? Um, he was living in New York, and him and his wife they had this uh, vintage clothing business. And so he wasn't associated to you in any way besides that document saying that he's the CEO. Well, the CEO and that I bought him a house in Florida. Okay. So. I did buy him a house in Florida and I did buy it stated income. Okay. Yeah. So when do you go and talk to the to the police? Um, I don't. I don't I don't think that that came up. Uh, I wouldn't talk to my attorney. Yeah, they didn't call me. They didn't there was no, they didn't have anything on me. They didn't have anything on you. They just because his name, oh wow. Yeah. Yeah, that was that that was that was even more devastating. They never had anything on me. Um I, I gave them everything they needed though. So that way they dropped the charges on him and You the, would think that was the point. And they didn't. Mm -mm. So he got jail time too. Mhm. Mm How much jail time did your son get? He 18 months. In a camp or a low, or they gave him eighteen months, even though he had nothing to do with it. Yeah, yep. And and I didn't even realize at the time, but um, at the time they told me uh, that it was he was facing more than that. Yeah, he was facing more than that. And so, after being away, we 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 look at time differently, right? But at the time, I'm I'm just a mother, you know that built this 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 lifestyle for my children and we're not not thinking about any kind of prison or anything like that and so I'm I'm clearly just um just just like no jail time he should not have any you know but um but in retrospect after going through my time away that's when you look back and you're like wow that was kind of either they should have done nothing or he could have gotten a lot so, yeah. How much time did they end up giving you? Ten years. And you got a plea deal, or do you go to trial? Plea. Plea deal. Yeah, I wasn't going to trial. They had my baby. Yeah. Yeah, there was no trial for me. There was no fighting it. I didn't even, I didn't even do the what do they call it? The twenty two fifty five, if I remember correctly. Yeah. yeah. I didn't even do that until, um, until they had gave him his sentence. And that was maybe a week before the deadline. So I had a whole week before the deadline for me to file that um, that motion. And I did. I filed it. But they didn't get back to me for like maybe four years later. So they gave you 10 years in prison over a couple 
documents that were forged. What what they say was a loss to the banks. Um, I don't know if it was different than it is thirteen million. They said it was thirteen million dollars that you uh, illegally signed for. Yeah. Wow. And you couldn't have paid any of that back through any of the money you had, or it. You know, at a point, people think that you can just pay your way out of prison. I, that's true to a point, but um, it doesn't work that way all the time. So yeah, no. And if I had thirteen million, I don't think I. Uh, yeah. You wouldn't have paid it if you had the money. I mean, <laughs> let's back away from that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so they send you. They give you ten years in, in federal prison. Mm-hmm. Where do they send you first? Uh, I was in I was in a jailhouse in uh, Scambia County. What is that like? Florida. A county? Oh, you went Pensacola, to Florida? Florida. Oh, you went to the Pensacola camp. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I heard that's like a really nice camp. Actually, not a Pensacola camp. It was the jail. Okay. Yeah, it was Pensacola jail. Why Florida? I had business in Florida. You have business everywhere. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so would you say to the feds, hey, yeah, I think I'm going to do my time here? <laughs> no. Um, that's where they, that's, you know, my, son, the, my son's case was out of Florida. Okay. And so when I flew into Florida to, you know, go into the witness stand for him, that's when they, you know, that's when they arrested me. Uh, at his trial or witness stand? At his, at his trial. Because then they figured out that you were the real uh, mastermind. They didn't, they didn't figure anything. I told them. Oh, okay. I so said these are my these these charges belong. These I'm responsible for these charges. And then I told them point. It's in the transcript. My son didn't do anything. He had nothing to do with any of this. Mm-hmm. You know. So. So you go to Pensacola first for prison. Yeah. Or the jail. Escambia County Jail. What was that like? A, a, your first time ever in prison. It's devastating. What was like the 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 strangest or weirdest thing that you experienced that you never w- would expect to have experienced as someone that was going to jail for their first time? All of it. <laughs> what shocked you the most? Like your first day in prison? What sh- well, you know what shocked me? I had okay, so I had on a suit. Um, this was the second day I went to went to went to um, court, and I had on a suit and I had on my heels, you know, and. Um, what shocked me is that they they put handcuffs on me. That was the first shock. I'm like, oh my God, what are you what is going on? Look at you guys to me, right? So it was the handcuffs. And then they put this chain around my waist. Why did they put a chain around my waist? Because they shackled me. My feet were shackled. I got, like this is like crazy. It was crazy. Were you like yelling at them with your personality or anything like that? Were you saying anything to them? No. <laughs> you said my personality. Yeah. What the hell is wrong, you people? No. 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 I was, I was, honestly, I was defeated. I was defeated. Um, I just, I just wanted to, I mean, we were at my son's trial, so I needed to understand what was going on, like what was going on with him. And so, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm one of those mommies, right? Like, never mind. I'm all right. What's going on with my son? That's, that's, that's it. I just needed to know what was going on with him. Um, and nobody was able to tell me anything. That's the worst. Yeah. Yeah. It was the worst. Cause I, I hadn't, I didn't know, um, if he was found guilty, if they would release him. So I didn't know anything. 
Um, so I just didn't, I didn't have a lot of words for anything at that point. How long did you spend time in Florida for during your, your prison stay? I think I was there 10 months. And then you eventually make it to Danbury. No, uh, I traveled. (laughs) They put you through diesel therapy? I, no, I traveled. I went to, um, I went to California. Okay. A camp, a, a women's camp? Yeah. Victorville. Victorville. They have a USP there too, right? Yeah, right in that hole in Victorville they have a USP. Uh, I think they have an FCI 1 and 2. And then they have the camp. So I was at the camp in um, in, in Victorville. So tell me about women's prison camp. Are there like politics? Are there like rules that the women make? What's that like? Let me tell you about jail. Okay, <laughs> let me tell you about jail where I was like, I was housed with people that... Um, that committed what we would call heinous acts of violence, like murder, and not just murder, not just shoot somebody with a gun. I don't know why I feel like that's just different. But, um, but you know, I think one of, the, um, one of the people in there actually set someone on fire. And the cra- you know what the craziest thing is? You meet these people, these these people that we call these people, right? And you realize that they're just people. They're just people. You know, what possessed them to do something like that? I have no idea. But you don't even see that when you're dealing with them. They're just people. And so it's just a whole, the, just being incarcerated is such an interesting, it's just an interesting mindset that happens in there. Um, now, before prison, laying next to a, a mur- someone that murdered somebody would have been like, uh, what? No, I can't. Even, uh. And it's like, and then, and then here we are on the other side of things and it's like, oh, so they committed murder. Okay. So did they, did they do their time or do they have more? It's just a conversation. It's just a conversation. I think at some point, um, reality kind of sets in. And especially after you're there for a while, you see that things happen in people's lives that you, they can either explain or not explain. Um, there are acts of passion that happen, and they commit, like, these crimes. And But people, at the end of the day, are just people. So these women that we see on, like, TV that do some crazy, crazy things— that we see in trial and they look all crazy on the television and stuff. Yeah. Are you saying those are normal individuals, like when you talk to people like that? What's normal? Well, I mean, like, could you have a conversation with an individual like that? (laughs) Because you're saying you've seen people with heinous crimes. Like, are they they people that you can approach and talk to? Or does TV villainize them? Not saying that they're not a villain, but can, can they be talked to as human beings? Yeah, they really can. Yeah, they can be. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. I'm sure a lot of people are are curious about that because you see some of these women with the crazy hair, yeah, and they look like or they did just kill someone, and yeah. you kind of want you, you want to wonder the mindset and how these individuals are. You do. Um, now, can you approach them and talk to them? Yeah. How many conversations can you have with someone is another story. You know, it de- and it depends on the depth of conversation that you want to have. You know, uh, so. Yeah, interesting. People are interesting. I've learned a lot about people being away. I've learned definitely to uh, be slower to judge. 
because you never know any outside of someone that's dealing with a mental condition that you know they were born with let's just say you never know if that person if something happened in their lives that turned them around and um and they became that way is a difference and if that's the case which it is largely then it could have been you it could have been me i didn't have to be returned sane there's a lot of people that went in there sane came back and just can't pull it together you know so you got to think that there is there's a power higher than us that are governing steps you know without going into any particular space what was your nickname in prison? Did that did the inmates call you anything? My nickname is Cookie. How do you get the nickname? Cookie? But I didn't let anybody in prison call me Cookie. <laughs> Why did they call you Cookie? I I I was three months old, and my I think my cousin started calling me Cookie, which is really crazy. She said I looked like the the wise potato chip man. <laughs> you know what's funny? You're sitting here in blue, so the Cookie Monster. Bro. <laughs> From Sesame Street. He was blue, right? He, yeah, he, he was, was blue. blue. Yeah, the, the cookie monster. <laughs> yes. Was it, Os- was it Oscar, Oscar the Grouch, right? right? Oh, no, Oscar the Grouch was the cookie guy, right? No, he wasn't the cookie. He was the cookie. garbage one. Yeah, I think it was just called Cookie, right? No, I think it was Oscar. Are you sure? I don't know. Yeah, Oscar's the one that wore the blue. Oh, what about the, the, the garbage guy? Yeah, I don't know about him. That's just the Grouch, right? I, I don't know, but... <laughs> You were the blue, the cookie monster. Yes. I was called cookie since I was three months old. And, you know, here's the funny thing that even closing million dollar deals, the bankers, that cookie. When you got to prison, did you have any regret for what you did and the actions that led you there? Yeah. Yeah. um, You know, regret, regret. We can speak about regret on a bunch of different levels. So, um, the the regret is that I didn't want to be in prison. I didn't want my sons to be. I didn't want my sons to go through this. I didn't want um, my, uh, especially my, the oldest one to have to even see the inside of a prison, you know. Um, and to have been responsible for that was crazy. As a parent, you know, as a parent, I'm talking about. I wasn't. I wasn't the parent that dropped the kids off and kept it pushing. I was that parent every single day, as a single mother, you know. Um, so, to that degree, yeah. Now, I, I, you know, the question, if the question were, would you have done it again? My answer would have to be, I don't know. I don't know. What about now? Now that you've survived no. prison. <laughs> no, not, not doing it again, but do you, is, has that feeling of regret change because normally when we're in a difficult situation we tend to regret it in that moment because we're living in that difficult situation Mm -hmm. now you're past that difficult situation are your feelings differently to your past actions that got you that difficult situation to begin with I'm, I'm so past the situation at this point in life like it doesn't hold any weight on do I regret it do I not regret it you know life life throws you a lot of different bricks and you either dodge them, you know, or, or you get hit by them. Um, but bricks will continue to happen. They'll always be thrown. It's, it's life, you know. You're going to have to make decisions. I'll get in a, a, in, in a position where I'll have to make some decisions. But, you know, um, hindsight is twenty twenty, right? Yeah. So. so we're 
in Richfield, Connecticut right now. It's on the border of Danbury, Connecticut. Why is Danbury, Connecticut significant to you? Well, this is where I walked into freedom from FPC Danbury. After you got out. Mm-hmm. After how many years did you end up serving in Danbury? I, I was in Danbury for a year and maybe eight months or something like that. I traveled. I was I was in Victorville for like two years. <laughs> and then I um, went to, I wanted to come to Danbury to be closer to family, but I think there was one, uh, it, I don't know, they had like a freeze on the on the prison. I think it was, I think it was Judice. You were there when Teresa was no, there? No, oh. I, was, I was about to be there, okay. but they stopped me and I ended up in West Virginia. Did they know you were an attacker or something? <laughs> They had to keep Cookie away from Teresa? No, I'm not an attacker. Um, but so they stopped me in West Virginia. And uh, that's where Martha Stewart was. And that's where I was. I was in I was in West Virginia for like three years. You weren't with Martha, though, right? No, 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 no. She had gone. So Danbury is a pretty famous prison. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's amazing that, you know, for something to be that famous, to be that nasty. <laughs> so what do you mean nasty? What were some of like the... Oh I was at the men's low, but what was like the camp like for you there? I've never, I've never experienced anything so nasty in my entire life. Camp, sleepaway camp is not even as nasty as that place. It's like, yeah, no, there's just mold everywhere. It's tight. It's just, oh, it's terrible. How are the guards treating inmates? Um, you know, guards, they have their, they have their favorites. If you like to chit chat with the guards, you're good. If you don't like to chit chat with the guards, but you give them that resting bitch face, you're good. (laughs) Now, I've had a couple women on the, on the show that were at the Danbury prison and they say that guards do sleep with inmates. Did you see that happen at all? No, I've never seen that. You've never seen that? Mm-mm. What about contraband, anything like that? Contraband's everywhere. They have cell phones in the women's camp? I never saw one. Uh, so you were goody two-shoes, I huh? know, right? But listen, I was a good girl uh-huh. in life. <laughs> but until you decide to start, you know, forging documents. Yeah, that part. That part, I'm telling you, is crazy. But yeah, no, there was contraband. I had my contraband. I mean, you know, I used to always, my, my clothes were always... Tailored and See, so you were too yeah. good to good goody two shoes. That vibe. What about food? How, how what was like your favorite meal in prison? Oh my god, no. Okay, what about commissary food? You had to have you did ten years in prison. You can't say you didn't have a favorite dish. I mean, I love chicken day. <laughs> yeah. Can you describe we haven't talked about this? Describe to the audience what chicken day is. Chicken why that's day. so popular in prison. And you know, here's the thing. I loved, leg and thigh used to be my thing, right? And in prison, that's all you got on chicken day was leg and thigh. And I was like, okay, this is this is happy. This is good. And, um, but yeah, every Thursday, it was, that was like the, that was the meatiest, heftiest meal that we got all week long. So, you know, they had their, you know, for the eaters, you know, for the, for the real eaters, there was mashed potatoes and then you had the string beans and then you had the, the yams and the, and the chicken. It was just like, it was like almost Thanksgiving. 
on Thursday. And they had great holiday meals in prison, mm-hmm. too. The holiday meals and the chicken days were the best meals you'd ever yeah, get. Yeah, they were. Now, the, the men at the men's prisons on chicken day, we would take it, put it in a kefi coffee bag, smuggle it out, and, and dish it up. Were the women doing that, too? Absolutely. What were they, like, what kind of dishes were they making with that chicken? Just like, you know, like stewed chicken. We would make our own gravy, and then we'd make some cheesecakes. I had, oh, you know what? I used to have a sweet shop. In, without oh, wait, <laughs> you ran a sweet shop yeah. in prison? All right, you got to tell us, give us the play by Come play. Come on, once a hustler, you're always going to be like an entrepreneur, right? That's awesome. I, I, had, I had used to tailor clothes. So my clothes were always tailored. I used to, you know, tailor clothes as well. But the sweet shop was great because whoever was in there that were doing things that weren't what they were supposed to be doing, you know, they had a sweet tooth, Right. They needed their sweet tooth satisfied. And the, the sugar that was on commissary, even if it was just cookies or something, it just wasn't sweet enough. And so I would make strawberry shortcakes, and, um, and they were so delicious. Oh, my God. Because I would make the whipped cream, and, and, and then I made oh, banana pudding. I made the banana pudding taste exactly the way I made it at home. How do you make banana pudding in prison? So we take our pudding, the vanilla pudding. And I melted caramels in it, and then I put in a little bit of um, a little bit of milk, and stirred it, and made the made the pudding. And then we bought the vanilla wafers. Um, yeah, I crumbled them up. And then on on fruit day, I think we had bananas once a week. So I, I would try to you know hoard as many bananas as I possibly could. I actually paid for some bananas sometimes, and so then I would make my banana pudding that way. How much are you selling a banana pudding for in prison? Oh, well, I had sizes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, what kind of cups were you putting them in, too? I had, um, I think, if I recall, I had the the vanilla pudding cup size, uh, the snack thing. And then I had another, there was another cup that was a decent size. However you slice it, one of the cups was $2.50, and the other cup was $3.50. These girls would come by and just grab, like, two or three <laughs> I mean, of the $3.50 ones, and then the $2.50 ones would be the ones that I'd have left over and uh, sold out. And what were they using to pay you, like soups or mackerel? What was commissary. So anything goes, like any type of commissary? I used to have commissary out of the wazoo. <laughs> Yeah, that's great. I, I love the prison hustle story. Yeah, I just the, <laughs> pudding, the pudding's a first. I haven't heard a pudding one. Really? I've heard apple apple pies was probably the the craziest one I've seen, but uh, the pudding one's cool. Yeah, the banana pudding that was that was good. Can stuff. you still make it if we asked you to? Yeah, <laughs> you can yeah. whip that puppy up. <laughs> God knows, I don't want to. You'd eat probably that be stuff. sick. Yeah. yeah, we we were doing like this cooking competition earlier in the year, a prison cooking competition, and I ate some of the food. And it was just like it made me so sick after. Yeah, nah. it's just crazy. You remember how you would make those make uh, I was, uh, <laughs> the taffy and the and... taffy and all that. <sighs> what uh, what year did you end up getting out of prison? Two thousand um, twenty. Well, really twenty one. You know, we come from federal prison. We go into a halfway house, and so from at this point, the halfway house, it was during COVID, so I went straight to family. And um, when I wanted to transfer to Queens, I had to go through the system, and then they ended up keeping me in a halfway house, which was crazy. So you got me, I'm home, 
I'm, 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 I'm with my family. And then just because I want to move to Queens where there was my own space available, um, they, they held me at, you know, the halfway house in, in Brooklyn. So I was in a, an actual halfway house for like three months. So I didn't really start rebuilding my life until, um, until 21. What were some of the challenges you faced getting out as now with a felony on your record? Um, you might not even have had any. I, you know, I don't want to make it seem like there are no challenges because more of us face challenges than those of us that don't. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm a businesswoman. I'm an entrepreneur. So it's not like I was looking for the job of my life. You know what I mean? So I didn't have to deal with that kind of thing. Any job would have been any job was fine because I knew I was only going to work it for a, for a period of time. So um, nonprofit organizations, they offer jobs to to um, those of us uh, that were formerly incarcerated. And they actually um, they actually they, and they some of them pay well. But and my first job was. I think, I don't know, $20 an hour or something like that. And then maybe two months later, I got a job was $23 an hour. No, my first job was $23 an hour. That's great coming out of prison. It really is. Mine was 15 coming out. It really, that was good coming out of, uh, coming out of prison. It was $23 an hour. And I liked it, too. I liked it. Um, but then COVID happened and, you know, places were shutting down or get, go, get poked in order to stay here. And I'm like that part and so um but yeah and then so I was home it was unemployment kicked in and when it ran out I got another job because I'm focused at this point now I'm, I'm 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 building my business I'm building my brand and so um so you know the job didn't didn't happen for me and that's not what I was looking for you know I think that there's different challenges for every individual coming out of prison like for me i didn't have problems finding housing Mm. there was no issues with that like as soon as i had the funds i was able to apply and and get a place and build my credit and everything like that that didn't affect me and you know financial crime stuff doesn't affect your credit if you didn't do anything to involve the credits entirely separate Mm -hmm. when i apply for an american express card they're not running my background to no. see. And and honestly, my criminal record doesn't even pop up on a lot of job applications because employers are looking for federal sex offender crimes or dangerous oh, crimes. Right? Yeah. So when I applied to like Whole Foods, mm-hmm. they ran my state charges, which I had like a misdemeanor, mm-hmm. but the federal stuff didn't pop up. Oh. I still reported it because at that time they said, have you been convicted of felonies or whatever, but it doesn't pop up. But I think each individual has different challenges yeah so where some people struggle like i know like with me like on a social level i struggled with that Mm -hmm. but i didn't struggle in finding work because of my work ethic and then building a business because of my entrepreneurial sense but i get messages from guys that they can't find work because of their conviction yeah so it it really is different for everyone it is different it is different and you're right i did the same thing i came home i knew you know i i I knew that i was going to build business i had you know, but then I got into my organization, which I love. Yeah, and, what do you do now? And so I have a um, a women's organization. We empower trauma-impacted women with tools and support to help them regain their sense of self-worth, the women and their families, um, to help them regain their sense of self-worth after a trauma. 
And so we focus largely on those that have re-entered returning citizens. And I use my podcast to actually bridge the gap between uh, society and our returning citizens. And so business-wise, I have a life and entrepreneurship coaching firm where I house my um, entrepreneurial mindset programs and workshops. And, um, and I was just able to hire two, uh, two facilitators for, um, for some workshops that we're doing right now. And one of them is formerly incarcerated. That's awesome. Yeah. And you got onto a BET show. Yeah, yeah. What was that about, for those um, that haven't seen it? American Gangster Trap Queens. <laughs> so th- why are you considered a trap queen? Season three, episode <laughs> seven. Um, I, I, You know, I guess it's... That, that sounds like drug-related, trap queen. It does, but I think when you are... I th- when you're trapping... Making don't get me to explaining when this. you're a boss bitch. <laughs> <laughs> That's what yeah. that reference is, it's, right? It's, at the end of the day, it's you know something something funds uh, what illegal gain. So did you like how you were portrayed in that film? I have to say, yeah. And how did they portray you? It was it was. Um, were you the victim or were you? No 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 no. They didn't. I don't do victim. Okay. Yeah no. Um, they. That's why I like it. I wasn't the victim. They didn't portray me as a victim. Um, they really laid it out the way it, for the most part, the way it was. And where can people watch that if, uh, if they want to see it? Yeah, it's 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 actually streaming live now. It's on BET. And, um, yeah, just plug in BET.com. <laughs> do, do you have, a, like, a restitution now, too? I do. And that was for that full 18 million, or what is it, 16 million, something like that? Mm-hmm. Sixteen million. Not sixteen. Well, I mean, it might as well be sixteen million. It's thirteen million. And you pay that monthly. Yeah. So you'll probably never pay that back in this lifetime. You hope you can. <laughs> okay. You I didn't say I'll never make it. Yeah. I didn't say I would never make it again. No, no, no. Not, but, not never but, make it. It's different. Yeah, it's different. Yeah. You know. Wow, thirteen. That's a lot of money. Well, how how do you feel about that? About what? Does, does it affect like you? About what? Does it affect you? No, like, does it affect your mental health at all? Or do you not even look at it as, like, you actually owing it? Because it's, it's not like it's not like a, like, yeah, it's like a, it's like a loan or whatever, but it doesn't show up on your credit report. No. Like, it doesn't affect you from buying a car. It doesn't. Mm-mm. So do you even think about it? No, I just make the monthly payment. And that's it? Yeah. So do you have to deal with, like, the financial litigation unit and all that? No. So they just tell you how much to pay? They told me. And that's it. And you just pay that <laughs> monthly and they don't bother you? You know, it's so crazy. But I came, when I got off of, uh, when I got came out of the uh, halfway house and I was released from BOP custody, that's when you go to probation. Yeah. So federal, you know, it's different. And um, I was on, you know, what is it? High, high security. That's where you, that's where we all exit from, I think. I'm not sure. But in 30 days, they, they put me in low-intensity security. And you just had to report, like, digitally or whatever? Online, piece but of paper. On, they yeah. don't bother you now? Mm-mm. Are you still on probation? Yeah. Oh, you are still on probation yeah. now. Interesting. How much more probation do you have? March. Oh, you're right there. I know. Were you able to apply to get off early at all or no? I didn't. Okay. I didn't. It's You know, it's more, it's more you know, nobody can throw anything back at me. I'm done. When I'm done with them, I'm done. Yeah. I'm done. You know, it's um 
I don't owe you nothing. I paid my debt to society. I, I paid my debt. And, uh, you know, if I probably, if I was on some sort of, this is the way I looked at the probation thing. You know, I'm a free spirit, and I like to move around as I choose. But I just took it to mean maybe, maybe, maybe timing is everything. You know, maybe timing really is everything. So, but I'm looking forward to March. It's you right know, around, right around the corner. Yeah, but I was placid. You know, and I came home toting my business plans and what I was going to do because you know, I, I gotta, I have to build a business, right? Yeah. And um, and I was stopped in my tracks. I didn't even approach any of it because this organization, the women's organization, just was laid on my heart, and I had to go for it. You found your purpose. I found it. I found it, and I live it every day, and there's nothing more fulfilling than that. Like, I am good. Do you feel like it should either be prison and restitution or one or the other? Like, if you go to prison, do you feel like you shouldn't have to pay restitution? I feel like if they send a paper to your house that says you in capital letters versus the United States of America, I think that's enough. That's it. <laughs> that's <laughs> enough to scare someone. It was definitely enough for me. <laughs> that's enough. But no, I you know, of course I don't I don't feel like there should be any restitution. You know, it's it's done. These people will hold on, they hold on to you for dear life, you know. Um and if you let that become a weight, then it becomes a weight. But Paying restitution is a real thing. I, I have my choice ways of looking at things. You know, I, I know that I, I had cars. I had, I had a huge mortgage. Um, I had properties. I had bills. So my bill, is, so this is just a bill, even though I don't have those kinds of bills anymore or today. But still, it's a bill, and you, you have to pay your bills. Yeah. And so that's just how I look at it. What's your message to the people listening to this? Like out of everything you've been through, the experiences, the life experience you have now, what do you want someone to take away from this interview? Be patient. Be patient. It's indiligent. You know, um, I want to say a cliche that I always, you know, I try to stay away from cliches, but what's for you? is for you. What's for you is for you. You're going to get what is for you. I love that. Well, Lynette, thank you so much for coming on the show today. We wish you a safe trip back. You know, best of luck with the organization and um, hit me up whenever you need help with the podcast or anything like that. You know, I'm going to come to you. See, we got it on record now. Exactly. Yeah, you guys are going to see Ian on my (laughs) podcast, The Sisteration Room. Awesome. (laughs) 